0: Welcome to Physicians Helping Attorneys Helping People. When people are injured due to negligence or while on the job, they need all the help they can get. Doctors Armin Feldman and Mike Bummer help ensure they get it. Join them as they discuss the newest medical subspecialty of medical legal consulting. Learn how attorneys can gain a competitive advantage in PI, workers comp, and medical malpractice cases. Armin and Mike can help you better understand the medical issues in your cases, leading to larger settlement amounts and the best possible medical care for clients. They can help save you time and increase case value all without breaking the bank. Let's get started.
1: Welcome to this episode of Physicians Helping Attorneys Helping People. I'm Dr. Armin Feldman, and as always, I'm here with my friend, colleague, and partner in physicians, legal consultants, Dr. Mike Bummer. Hi, Mike. Hi, Armin. How are you today? I'm good. I'm looking forward to today's episode. It's something uh, a little different. We're just going to cover one case, so it should be uh, fun and uh, hopefully interesting and educational for our listeners. Yeah, same Um, here.
2: I I'm looking forward to kind of interviewing you in a way because something that you have a lot of experience with is independent medical exam observation. And whenever I started learning this work from you many years ago now, the it, I didn't really understand. But then as soon as you said a few key terms and I got into the the personal injury and workers comp world... I really understood quite quickly how valuable this could be. And it kind of really has a common sense approach to it. I I would even argue that, that having someone... Because, well, I, I should even mention when I went on these interviews to meet new attorneys, the the common language was that these were defense medical exams that they went under. Or right. They would they would call the independent medical exams and laugh at the at even remotely considering them independent because these doctors were essentially being, for all re- all intents and purposes, employed to give very favorable defense opinions, and. Right. I had no idea that that existed, and, and it, it it actually sounded very. Uh, it was very frustrating. It felt very dirty that that these clients with re, with extremely legitimate injuries were being downplayed, were being uh, kind of shoved under the rug, were being downright told uh, f- false medical you know diagnoses and false workup of. Very legitimate problems in that having a doctor on the side of the claimant in workers' comp or the plaintiff in personal injury work makes so – it made so much sense. And so – this is, uh, yeah, this is going to be fun today. I, I, I'd like to, after you get a chance, as I've been running on with this, as I get excited. The uh-huh. uh, I'd like to kind of interview you about how this process even works and, and run through this this case where you disagreed with a with an independent medical exam.
1: Sure. Uh, let me start uh, before you start that. Let me just start with one other thing, and that is now we both know there are very good physicians who do very good IMEs. And for some of my attorney clients, when those physicians are involved, they don't need me to be involved. But I have other attorney clients that want me to be in every IME for every one of their clients. So there can't be any kind of question about bias. But what we also know is that in every community across the country, there uh, is a group of physicians who make all of their income, a good portion of their income, doing IMEs. And we're all human. And these doctors would say I'm completely unbiased, but uh, the fact is is that no matter how much they try to stay unbiased, human nature is what it is. Secondary gain issues are, um, at play. By the way, secondary gain issues, those are unconscious influences, right? They're right. not purposeful influences. But um, we know that in every community, there's a group of doctors that are favored by uh, the uh, opposing counsel side, favored by insurance companies, because in reality, these doctors almost always give opinions that favor the insurance position.
2: Yeah. And that is a self-fulfilling loop for their business. And like you said, it, it is often even subconscious as we know. And I think it was extremely relevant for you to point out that most of these doctors are doing what they think is right. However, it is our attorneys to their benefit and their clients benefit to have someone on their side. And, you know, whenever I, whenever I've had this discussion with in new attorney meetings, many of the attorneys aren't aware that they can actually have representation in that IME. Have you found that to be true?
1: Yes. Uh, In fact, uh, I know know for a fact in Colorado, uh, I've been doing these things now for 15 years. In Colorado, I was the very first physician to sit in, actually physically sit in and observe independent medical exams done by other uh, physicians and I think I was probably the first physician in the country to do this now we're not going to discuss this issue today but you can imagine that um, some of the regular I call them the, you know the regular IME doctors, they were kind of up in arms when I started showing up, and there were some early struggles, but uh, that's all in the past and now. Uh, but uh, uh, yes, this is something that probably attorneys and certainly our, our, our own attorney clients really didn't know about, could use as part of uh, how they handle the case until we started educating them about now, Armin,
2: do you have to sit in on the IME or are you able to review an IME uh, opinion or report and then create a, a rebuttal on whether or not you agree or disagree with certain uh, conclusions or diagnoses made?
1: Great question. And the answer is somewhat, somewhat depends on the state in which the IME is being done. It also depends on whether it's for workers' comp purposes or a personal injury case. I prefer to actually physically sit in the IME and observe the IME. I'm basically sitting in the corner with my notepad. Um, but I can certainly do, and we... Uh, can certainly do IME rebuttals based on reviewing the IME report and doing the typical things that we do.
2: Now, the case that that we're going to discuss today, did you physically sit in on this or did you review the IME doctor's report?
1: I sat in. Okay.
2: Great. Did you have anything else that you wanted to point out before we jumped into discussing this specific case?
1: Uh no, I think let's just uh, go ahead and, to talk about the case.
2: Okay. Do you uh when this attorney asked you to be a part of or to sit in on this IME, maybe just give a couple minutes of what the injuries were related to uh this this was a workers comp case, I believe, and as you mentioned, this is certainly uh these i m e s and the ability for our physicians to sit in on them and observe and and offer rebuttals also very much applies to personal injury attorneys right the right. uh this case I believe is a worker's comp injury from what you had already kind of mentioned to me pre show so maybe if you mm-hmm. could just mention what the back- the background of that injury was, and then we'll get into how the i m e went
1: yes so First of all, let me give you, give our listeners the overview of how we typically approach these kinds of consultations. So, of course, as always, we're going to talk to the attorney first, uh, and then we will review all of the medical records. Then, uh, typically, Most attorneys will do what they call an IME prep meeting with their client before the IME is going to take place. If they don't do an IME prep meeting, I'll just interview the client as we typically do, but most of my attorney clients ask me to be at that prep meeting. Oftentimes, I'm there in person. Sometimes, I can be there by Zoom or by telephone. And typically what happens is the attorney does their part uh, of preparing the client for the IME, and then they turn over the meeting to me. And then we do uh, a trial run where I role play the IME doctor. I ask the client a variety of questions. Obviously, I want to hear what happened to them in their own words. And oftentimes we can Help the client to understand better what the IME process is all about. So let me give you a quick example. So I'll say, well, how bad is your pain on a 1 to 10 scale? And maybe the client will say, well, doc, my pain is a 10. And I'll say to them, well, when I did that scale, I said, um, zero is no pain. Seven is pain bad enough to keep you up at night nine is pain where you're on the way to the emergency room and 10 is pain bad enough that you passed out so are you telling me that you're passing out all the time and the client said well no no that's not the case but i want this need doctor to understand huh. that i'm really in bed mm-hmm. and then i have to explain to the client well if you say your pain is a 10 they're going to think that you're exaggerating or making it up or uh, tr- trying to do something to enhance your case. So you have to be accurate about this as you have to be accurate about other things. So let's do this again. So on that 0 to 10 scale, based on what I told you, what is your pain on a daily basis? And they'll go, oh, oh well, actually my pain on a daily basis is a 6. Well, then that's what you should tell the I mean so that's what happens in that property.
2: Very interesting.
1: Yeah, then uh, I'll observe the history and the physical in the IME, and then I'll go back and do whatever pertinent uh, literature search I need to do. And now I'm in a position to write the IME report.
2: And usually these reports are three or four pages, depending on the complexity of injuries, correct?
1: Yeah, it depends on how many injuries there are and the complexity of the injuries. They could be three to four pages. They could be nine or ten pages. Okay, excellent. Yeah, Yeah. so in this case, now I'm finally going to answer the question (laughs) that you asked me, Mike. Um, This was a 41-year-old woman um, who was uh, working at this company where she was standing at a table and – the boxes would roll off and uh, arrive on her table. And each one of these boxes weighed about 10 pounds. And then she had to lift the box above her head to put the box on a, on a conveyor belt um, after she, uh, you know, scanned into some other stuff. And she was doing this four hours a day, five days a week as part of her eight hour a day job. And, What happened is uh, she developed shoulder pain. And in addition to the shoulder pain, she also, this course was debated, but in my opinion, developed a secondary neurogenic thoracic outlet syndrome. She had um, neck pain and headaches. And I uh, addressed each one of these things in my ime rebuttal report now what the uh, ime uh, physician uh, said is that none of these injuries uh, were work related and that he thought the only treatment that this woman needed at this point was a home exercise program
2: Was this known to be a biased IME doctor going in, or was this an unknown, uh, doc, uh, um, the history of this, the opinions of this doctor,
1: but this, this IME doctor and I know each other quite well from my observing his IMEs. Okay. And his, um, uh, I, I'm being a little facetious, but, uh, I'm not sure he's ever seen an injured person.
2: Okay, I, I would imagine our attorneys ha- they know these IME doctors. I I, right. I imagine we're not saying anything that's brand new or shocking to anyone. Right. Okay. So you go to you you they set the IME appointment up. You went and observed this IME with this woman. How mm-hmm. how did the actual exam and the interaction go at that time? Did you were you just a fly on the wall? um did you uh, do you ever interrupt uh how how does this work for you
1: yeah good question by the way that varies state to state but in most states and certainly in Colorado where i am um i am not allowed to say anything in the ime so uh typically i will sit in uh, i have to have a, i have to be in a vantage point where i can actually see but i'll sit in uh, the corner of the room. I, had, I actually had one IME doctor who wanted to put me way on <laughs> the other side of the room, and I, I said, I can't hear or see from where I'm sitting. So I have to move up into a position where I can actually do what I'm supposed to do. And if we can't work that out, we're not going to be able to continue the IME. We're, we're, our attorney has directed us to leave. So, but uh, I typically sit in the corner. Um, I m um, uh, this is is debated sometimes by the way whether i can take notes or not but typically i can take notes um, one quick amusing aside is there was one orthopedic doctor who loved to ask me questions about what was happening in the ime to try to try to trip me up or to intimidate me and uh, but my typical response was, "Well, as you know, by the rules, I'm not allowed to say anything." Yeah. But typically, I'm sitting in a corner, in a vantage point where I can see everything, and I'm taking notes.
2: Okay, so so this particular physician did an exam and, and talked to your attorney's client, mm-hmm. and did you right away notice? that there were things you disagreed with and did you take those notes then or how did how did this go with this particular exam and these headaches this shoulder pain and potential thoracic outlet syndrome
1: yes so i thought this doesn't always happen but i thought that this doctor did a terrific job he did a really good job of getting the history uh he did a very by the way i think we were there for three and a half hours but um yeah, uh, he did a very good job of getting the history. He did a very thorough uh, examination. He did a, a number of tests that typically would be done in a PM, a, a physical medicine exam or an orthopedic exam, uh, and I thought he did a, a, a very complete, very professional job. In the end, he was professional with the. A uh, client of the attorney, he wasn't short with the person or um, asking a question inappropriate questions, or he did a terrific job on that part. And
2: what what was his conclusion?
1: Well, uh, he said uh, that uh, uh, that the uh, uh, only problem th- th- that this person had was some shoulder pain. Uh, but that none of this was related to her uh, work condition but then what he he went on to say in the report i was going to quote it uh, that the shoulder pain can lead to some reactive tightness in the thoracic outlet area and uh, bring on some symptoms like uh, numbness and achiness in the arm but then he went on to say that uh this wasn't a secondary thoracic outlet syndrome. So, uh, what I said in my report is, I'm confused regarding what Doctor So and So is concluding. He states in his report that the client's thoracic outlet syndrome is not work related, yet he concludes that uh, the client does have a, uh, a possible work related shoulder injury, uh, but that it doesn't need treatment, um, and he. Uh, uh, stated that uh, the shoulder pain uh, is uh, clearly not work related. I mean, it just, you know, it was kind of screwy it didn't make sense.
2: Did he me. support that opinion at all? I mean if did he cite where the shoulder pain could be from, or is he just right. blindly kind of almost embarrassingly saying it's not work related, but with no other actual, right justification for the pain
1: right now that's a very good question because some of the ime doctors will justify why they think it's not work-related they may lay it off on a supposed pre-existing condition
2: chronic Uh, yeah they're yeah exactly
1: or it's degenerative Mm -hmm. uh, condition some of them will lay it off on uh, psychological reasons or even uh, secondary gain issues or occasionally not very often but occasionally just out and out malingering but some of the ime doctors just don't uh, they just say this is the case and they don't and that doesn't they don't support their opinions with evidence and That was the case in this particular one. So what I did is I went to the medical literature. And so I said, you know, it is my opinion, to a reasonable degree of medical probability, that uh, this... By the way, there were only two medical opinions in this case that this was not uh, work-related. They were both by IME doctors. I went to two IMEs by two different doctors a week apart One was uh, about the headaches, but the other one, this one that I went to, the purpose of it, I mean, I'm uh, interpreting here, but this woman was receiving maintenance uh, treatment, and I think the purpose of this IME was to discontinue her treatment, and uh, the uh, doctor really didn't give any explanation, so... Uh, I went to the medical literature. I quoted some papers. And uh, there was one paper on uh, the diagnosis of thoracic outlet syndrome. And they uh, outlined what those symptoms are. And they were exactly the symptoms. Hmm. I mean, it was kind of eerie. It was exactly the symptoms that this woman was having. And I uh, outlined that. Um, in my report.
2: Now, did you Um, also then discuss in your rebuttal or report what you believed future medical care would be?
1: No, but then I'll tell you why, because this woman was getting very good medical care, and it was helping her. We can come back to that in a minute. The medical care she was doing was helping her was making her functional and she just needed to continue what they okay. were doing instead of cutting everything off but i was able to back up my opinions with evidence i mean i take that in a legal sense and in a general sense with evidence right from the medical literature that supported this so Her treating doctors, and she had more than one, every one of them diagnosed that this woman had a shoulder impingement syndrome. And by the way, for our listeners, uh, that's when the uh, top upper edge of uh, your shoulder blade, which is called the acromion, it it rubs against, in other words, it impinges or pinches the rotator cuff beneath it. And that can cause pain and irritation, that causes inflammation and swelling. That becomes a self with use, that becomes a self-perpetuating problem. And so she had an issue with her rotator cuff and secondary to that, that's how she got the thoracic outlet Mm -hmm. syndrome, the neck pain, the headaches. These are all symptoms of thoracic outlet syndrome. And so, um, so for example, in the, w- when the IME doctor was talking about headaches, um, he stated in his report that, quote, any relationship, I'm not using the client's name, but any relationship between the client's headaches and a work-related uh, injury are, and I'm quoting here, tenuous uh, but uh, in my uh, my next sentence in the report was, uh, but the doctor gives no explanation to support his conclusions. Yep. So then in that headache section, what I did is I said, well, the headaches, she never had headaches. It's not in her medical records. Then shortly after the diagnosis of her uh, shoulder impingement syndrome and subsequent uh, symptoms from the uh, thoracic outlet syndrome all of her treating doctors diagnosed a work-related uh shoulder impingement syndrome with these secondary uh problems and then i went back to the medical records and i said well if you look at her pcp or primary care physicians medical records right in the records he said no headache previous history of headaches But after this injury happened, uh, and it wasn't, he didn't say it started at this particular time, but it started within a a couple of weeks, somewhere in there, after the diagnosis of the shoulder impingement uh, problem from this uh, repetitive motion stress injury. And it was right there in her medical records The guy treating her headaches uh, and said the same thing. And so, Mike, as you know, one of the things that we do is we always talk about what uh, we talk about causation. So, we want to give an explanation was the traumatic uh, uh, symptom causation uh, of the injury. And we use one of the things we like to use are these criteria by Freeman and his group. So uh, that's what I did. I quoted the Freeman uh, criteria uh, for the headaches and the neck pain. So uh, I'm just going to briefly mention this. So the first criteria is there must be a biologically plausible or possible link between the exposure and the income, and then I lay that out. Second, there must be a temporal relationship between the exposure and the income. I lay that out. Third criteria states there must not be a more likely or probable alternative explanation for the symptoms. And uh, I lay that. In fact, I said, look, this client did not suffer any other injuries to her head, her neck, uh, or shoulder. Uh, She wasn't in any type of personal situation, accident, or activity that could have directly caused the You know these problems. There was nothing in her medical history or her day-to-day life that suggests something other than the repetitive movements at work, which was the exposure, precipitated all of these problems, uh, which was the outcome. The funny thing
2: is, I think of these criteria, Armin, sometimes as like the scientific way of proving common sense. You know, because anyone and their mother could. Uh, who's not in law or medicine can usually take a set of events and temporarily place it, look at the before and after, and if anything else could have caused it, and then make a quick decision on whether or not that's directly related. Yet here we are fighting with IME doctors and uh, offering these rebuttal reports because they're uh, potentially being kind of reinforced to offer non-common sense opinions to save their clients a lot of money and a lot of liability. And I can see why your attorneys who use you on these IMEs are repeat clients because once you probably get a taste of having someone on your side in these in these settings in an affordable way who can fight for you and bring common sense back into back into play, it's probably a, a pretty positive reinforcement and with, with good outcome.
1: Yes, it is. And I'll tell you that end of the story in a minute and just a minute, But uh, by the way, these Freeman criteria uh, are accepted ways of determining traumatic causation in several states. This case law to back that up. OK, uh, so, yeah. And I did the same thing with the, the neck problems. And, uh, as I uh, mentioned a, a few minutes ago, the sad thing about this is that this IME report was delivered in, Uh, September uh, and in in October the workers comp insurance company cut off all of her benefits Hmm. one of the things that she was getting Mike was radiofrequency neurolysis in other words radiofrequency ablation of of the nerves and she was getting that every three months along with some uh, massage therapy chiropractic care and some medication and the interesting thing is that Her life was uh, pretty good, and she felt that she could uh, go back to work uh, and do things around the house. Once those treatments were stopped, uh, she said that uh, her ability to use her right upper extremity for everyday tasks of living, such as housework, shopping, laundry, was severely limited by pain. And uh, she also reported that uh, difficulty sitting, even for short periods of time, uh, difficulty standing for uh, longer periods of time, difficulty holding things in her right hand, uh, difficulty driving, and difficulty with any sustained physical activity because it caused pain. And what a shame, right? Yeah. Because she was functional before this so the the last part of my report is the uh, attorney wanted me to give an opinion with regard to employability and so uh, what i said was to a reasonable degree medical probability it was my opinion that the client was unable to work at this time she did not meet the qualifications for employability so i quoted the client uh, saying Uh, I could manage my pain with treatment, but then it was discontinued, and she said, I don't think I can work. I I find it hard to do stuff around the house, and it was uh, my opinion that she didn't meet the qualifications for employability. This is
2: a really good example of how I think we've been convinced that having a physician legal consultant on the Claimant side of a workers' comp IME or on the plaintiff side of a personal injury IME is uh, kind of a no-brainer in a lot of these cases. If they especially if our attorneys are running into difficulties with their IME doctors, right? Fantastic. Well, we I think we went a little longer than usual today, but I think for good reason. We really fleshed out this service that I think a lot of our listeners probably had no idea that they they could actually do, and we have. We actually have the ability. We have physicians around the country who we can actually help um, the attorney listeners on our podcast today if they want to reach out to us and talk more about having this locally or doing this. Wouldn't you agree?
1: Yeah, that's right. So I, I think we're at the end, right, Mike? So, yes. um If you have a case uh, that is similar to this and you would like to talk with us about that, uh, if you have a question or a comment, you can always reach us at comments at physicianshelpingattorneys.com. So it was a fun episode, and we look forward to having all of you back next time. We sure do. Have a great day.
0: Thanks for listening to Physicians Helping Attorneys Helping People. For more information about the show and to listen to all the podcast episodes, go to physicianshelpingattorneys.com. You can also email Armin and Mike at comments at physicianshelpingattorneys.com.